Praise God. In Genesis 15, we're talking about God and his dealings with Abram, who became Abraham. Through this process of making covenants, you know, last week I introduced the idea of our God is a covenant-keeping God. But he's, he's first a covenant-making God. God only keeps covenants that He makes. He doesn't keep yours. You keep yours. God keeps His covenants. He is a covenant-making God, and He's a covenant-keeping God. If God swears to something in his own name, or in other words, he signs his name to anything, he will do it. Even if it takes him generations and generations to do it, God will do it. He will not give up on his word. The Bible says he's exalted his own word above his name. And if we're going to be truly godly, we'll do the same thing. We'll make our word our bond. We'll be keepers of our word. The whole idea of covenant revolves around God keeping his word, God being faithful to his word, and the requirement that he places on you for you to be faithful to your word. God keeps his word. He expects you to keep your word. And when you don't, the Bible calls that being a, a covenant breaker, truce breaker, uh, or being a liar. And all liars shall have their part in the furnace, in the lake of fire. All of them. Not just, a, not just pert and near all of them, but all of them. Yes, the black lies, the gray lies, and the white lies. They all go to the same hell. I didn't say that. God said that. And it's true. And, we, and, and that's a forever eternal hell. It's not a county jail where you pay... 30 days, uh, you know, on bread and water, and then they let you out. No, hell is forever. It's eternal. Amen. That's what God thinks of people who don't keep their word, people who don't follow through with their commitments. Yeah. It's a serious thing. Everybody say it's a serious thing Very to break a covenant. Yes, and God wants us to understand how serious it is. Well, in God's efforts to save mankind and rescue mankind from our fallen condition, he realized that he need to, he need to uh, bring into the world a system by which he would be able to ransom the world or redeem the world back to himself. And uh, in order to do that, God in his knowledge and wisdom chose the path of covenant making. The whole fact that you are saved, born again, forgiven of your sins, and on your way to heaven is, is the end result and really was the focal point of all the covenants that God made with man down through the ages. He was getting us ready and setting us up for a, for a switch where he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That whole switch was the result of covenant making. And it began back in Genesis with God killing the animals and, and, uh, and skinning them and making coats of skin for Adam and Eve, uh, all the way through to where Jesus said, this is the blood, my blood, of the new, new covenant. That was the culmination of God's redemptive plan. 
And, uh, and Jesus, when Jesus said, it is finished, that's what he was referring to. The plan is finished. The plan has been fulfilled. God's whole redemptive process had come to that moment where Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, I commend my spirit into your hands. It was finished. After thousands and thousands of years. Well, Genesis 15, we're, we're actually seeing God really go into second gear on this. You know, he kind of he kind of endured the Adam and Eve stage, the Cain and Abel stage, the Noah deal where all the world had to be destroyed, and he had to start over again with Noah's family, and uh, and and time had passed. Now, well, now God's ready to go into high, uh, high gear, and so he finds a man named Abram, who was a prince, and a kingdom called Ur of the Chaldees, which is now. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the Gulf coastal areas of Iraq. You know, when we had the Gulf War, it was right there, right there in Abram's hometown. The land of Ur of the, Ur of the Chaldeans. And so he was not Jew. There were no Jews in the world at that time. He was, he was a, a Gentile. He was, in, he was a member of a, a royal family, wealthy people. His, he was a prince. His dad was a ruler. And, uh, and they very faithfully and very dutifully worshipped the moon. They were moon worshipers. Abram was a moon worshiper. I don't know if they went out and howled at the moon or whatever they did, but I, they, they worshipped the moon. And uh, others worshipped the sun. Others worshipped, you know, rocks and whatever but uh, their their particular deity was the moon itself until God spoke to Abram why God spoke to Abram only God knows but out of all the people in all the earth that God could have picked to bring about his plan of redemption he saw something in Abram that even Abram didn't know was there and that was the capacity to hear from God and believe and act on what God said. That was, that was what God saw. He saw a righteous heart. He saw, he saw a moon worshiper, yes. He saw a, a, a spoiled prince living in a palace, yes. He saw a lot of, who knows what kind of lifestyle and morality they had. But in and through all of that, when God looked down deep into Abram's soul, he saw a man who would put his trust fully in God. All Abram needed was to hear God and to be convinced it was God. And after that, Abram would do whatever God said. That's what he saw in Noah, by the way. And that's what he saw in Abram. He saw somebody that would, that would believe him. And so he began to deal with him. You know the story, how he told him to leave his hometown and go not knowing where he was headed, not knowing where he was going, just leave home and take off across the wilderness, and God would direct his steps. And God would take him into a land that he was preparing for him and that he would give him and his descendants after him. That's all Abram had. So he packs up his family. He even gets his uncle and his dad, and they, you know, he took a little, he took a little extra with him, you know. God didn't tell his uncle and his dad to go with him. He didn't tell Abram to take them. 
But, you know, Abram didn't want to go by himself, so how, somehow or another he convinced the whole group to go. And, uh, and they went, and, you know, God blessed them all. But God really, really didn't get into the covenant-making aspect of uh, uh, Abram's life until his uncle was dead and his father was dead. And even until Lot had separated from his company. That was his nephew. So there was a... There was a lot of people he had to let go of before he could enter into what God wanted for him. So don't cry so much about people you have to let go of. You know, if God, if, if to, fo to follow God requires you to let go of some people, then count that a blessing that it will enable you to follow God even more closely. Amen. We've got, to learn, we've got to learn how to make friends. Mo many of us, we have problems in that area. We're socially uh, retarded. And we don't know how to make friends and keep friends and cultivate friends. Nor many of us don't even have the desire to make friends. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really amazed at how many Christians don't, it doesn't even enter into their thought. To, hey, I think I'm going to make a friend today. Yeah. <laughs> And I know you're thinking, well, I never had that thought not one time this week. <laughs> well, maybe that's why you didn't make a new friend this week. You know, the Bible says if you want to have friends, you've got to show yourself friendly. Amen. Amen. You've got to win people to yourself so you can win them to the Lord. Amen. But at the same time, we, you know, we can have friends that are harmful to us. Even family that's harmful to us. And we've got to learn how to let them go. And when God, let, when Abram let Lot go, he didn't. He didn't curse Lot. He didn't. He didn't cheat Lot. Matter of fact, he gave Lot the opportunity to choose the best land, and he blessed him and he sent him off in full covenant. They, they, they didn't. He didn't break a relationship in order to send Lot away. He didn't hate Lot. It was just he realized that you know Lot and he could not coexist on the same piece of grass. So they had to put some distance between themselves. But he didn't curse him when he did it. He blessed him. He gave him the best land. He, he loved on him. And when he was in trouble, he interceded before God on his behalf. So he didn't cut him off, did he? But you, sometimes you've got to separate yourselves from people that you don't necessarily cut off and hate and put a curse word on them. No, you, you, you realize it's better for them and for you to go your separate ways but you, you do it amicably and in love and in covenant. You don't break covenant with them. Amen. Amen. And this was, this was what God was waiting for. God was waiting for Abram's dad to die. God was waiting for his, his uncle to die. He was waiting for Lot to get out of town. And then God began to pull Abram into a covenant, a, a greater covenant relationship. And that's just to set us up to read this chapter. You ready? All right, Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceeding great reward. Whew! What did God just say? He said, Abram, I'm your shield. In other words, nothing can touch you. You're protected. You're covered by me. 
And he says, and I am your exceeding great reward. Abram, you just won the mega lottery. What do I get? Me. God says, you get me. You're stuck with me, man. And Abraham danced a little jig, shouted a while, and offered up sacrifices and just had praised God and, and named that spot, you know, I, God is my exceeding great reward. I mean, he really celebrated that. Yeah, look what he said in verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Lord God, what will you give me? See, and I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Well, what did Abram begin to do with God? God says, Hey, this is your lucky day. You have me. And Abram says, Lord, let me tell you what I don't have. Isn't that just like us? Isn't that just like us? Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will not surprise you what the Lord has done. Amen? Amen. But what do we do? We don't count our blessings. We, look, we, 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 count, we count that one tree that God won't let us have. You have all the trees of all the trees on earth, planet earth. You can have all the fruit from all the trees on planet earth. And it was just as big then as it is now. And God says, but the one thing you can't have is that fruit from that one tree in the garden. But God, how come I can't have fruit from that tree? Not thank you for letting me have all the other trees. <laughs> but how come I don't have the one? Yeah, that's just the way our brains go. It's part of the fallen sinful condition. And Abram had it. Abram had some faults. So here's a perfect God trying to come into covenant with a faulty man. And that's the way it's been. He's, uh, Abram says, verse 3, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord. And he accounted it to him for righteousness. There we go. God told Abraham it's going to be a certain way. There's no way you can figure it out in your mind how that's going to happen since you don't even have a kid. But he believed God. He took God at his word. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? You know, we'll cut him some slack because he didn't have a Bible. He wasn't born again. He didn't have the Holy Ghost. See, where would that excuse but it's excusable. God excused Abram. He didn't just burn him with a flash of lightning. But he might you. 
Because you know better. Hello. If I was God, there probably wouldn't be a single one of you still here. <laughs> I'd have sent you on to heaven. Amen. Aren't you glad I'm not God? I'm just, I'm kidding, everybody. I'm kidding. <laughs> so God said in verse 9, So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two. Now, Abram's doing this. Abram's doing the work. God told him to bring me these animals. He named them and he numbered them. Bring me these animals. And he brought those and he cut them in two down the middle. In other words, he, he, he sawed them in half long ways and laid the two halves of the body out. So you had, you had a half, you know, of a, of a heifer laying over here and the other half laying over there. Amen. And the blood is going down in a trench between them. Y'all see that? Because oh, yeah. you cut an animal in half, there's going to be blood. And a lot of blood. But he dug a trench and, lay, and the blood drained down and laid them on the banks and the blood drained down into the trench, filled the trench. Y'all getting the picture? It's a bloody picture. All right. He brought them, cut them in two, and placed each opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. See, these, these are being offered to God. So the buzz, buzzards can't have them. Right. Amen. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. When as the sun went down, this, this horrible, dark feeling came over Abram. Like something solemn. Something holy. Something unearthly what's taking place here then God said to Abram verse 13 know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years now at this time Abram doesn't even have a son and now God is saying you know you, you, this great nation is going to come of you, and they will spend 400 years in slavery. This is in the covenant. God is saying, this is what this covenant is going to bring forth. He didn't hide anything from his covenant partner, did he? Abram didn't go into this covenant not knowing what was going to happen to his descendants for 400 years. God does not require you to make covenant with him blindly. But he reveals the terms. In the making of the covenant, he reveals the terms. Jesus did the same thing. He said, take up your cross and follow me. 
If they hate me, they will hate you. He didn't hide anything from us. Amen? When, when, he made, when he made covenant with us, it was with eyes wide open. That's how, that's how come he can hold you to it. You can't say to him, Lord, I didn't know. No, he told us up front. <laughs> he told us it'd be like this. Didn't he? Amen. And so he goes on in, in verse 14. Also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. I mean, he tells them exactly what's going to happen. Now, as for you, you shall go down to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. He's talking about the local residents. He said after 400 years, their time will be up. And it'll be, it'll be your descendants' time. It'll be Joshua's time. Amen? When the Amorites' time was up, Joshua's time was beginning. So, you know, in order for it to be your time, the enemy's time has to be up. Amen? For God to make it your day, he has to, he has to destroy the devil's day. I love that. It's part of that whole switcheroo thing, right? So, reading, are y'all enjoying this? Okay, verse 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Now, in the, when it was dark, and after this, this prophetic word was given to Abram by God, this torch from heaven, this wall of fire, or column of fire, came down and went through that trench and consumed all that animal blood and burned up the sacrifices on both sides. God, God himself burned up the sacrifices, but he followed the path of the blood. God's fire always follows the blood. Did y'all hear that? Where there's the blood, there's the fire. Amen. And Jesus, uh, John the Baptist said, you know, he's coming to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. The fire has to do with God's acceptance of the sacrifice. When God approves of the sacrifice and accepts the sacrifice, fire would come down out of heaven and consume the sacrifice. And this is how God made that covenant with Abram, is he sent holy fire to consume the blood sacrifice. It was animal blood. But it was, uh, it was uh, suitable in a substitutionary form, uh, and it was a foreshadowing of the blood of Christ that would come later on our behalf. So, can you say praise the Lord? Praise. And what happened after Jesus' sacrifice was accepted in heaven? Remember he said he took his blood uh, up to heaven and poured his blood out on the mercy seat? What happened ten days later? The fire, the fire, the Holy Ghost fire came upon them and baptized every one of them. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit is the fire that came upon the blood sacrifice of Jesus. 
Amen? And, it, and this is a picture of it here in Genesis 15. Now, I, I want to show you that, uh, uh, the, how this covenant was passed on from generation to generation. Because it's wonderful that God had a covenant with Abram. It was good for Abram. And it's good for Abram's descendants. But how, how was this covenant passed on from generation to generation? Did God come down and cut another covenant with them? Uh, he, with Isaac and with Jacob, God did appear to them in one way or another and confirmed the covenant. But it was, it was like, as I was with your father Abraham, so am I with you. Kind of a deal. But uh, only one time did he, did he cut that covenant where the, the fire comes down and from heaven and laps up the blood. That was a one one time deal. Amen. And that's significant because there's a scripture that says when Jesus offered up himself once, there's no more need for him to come and do it again. Amen? We weren't here then. That was 2,000 years ago. We were not at the foot of the cross. We were not witnesses, eyewitnesses of his, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and, and his ascension. But it was passed down to us with confirming words, to confirm that it's a real deal. The deal uh, is that God made to save us is still valid. We don't need another Jesus. We don't need another crucifixion. We don't need more bloodshed. Because Jesus did it. Amen? So, uh, look how it's passed down in Genesis 17. You're going to love this, because up until now, uh, all that Abram had to do and all that any of the people on, on, on man's side of covenants with God, all they had to do was kill animals. Up until now, they really, you know, I mean, ex except the sacrifice of animals that have value, uh, they really had no skin in the game. You know what I'm saying? But here it comes. Genesis 17, 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you. Oh, now, now he's realizing this covenant is something that can be passed on. For an everlasting covenant. Say everlasting covenant. That's a long time. That's like a thousand years. Amen. You know, the Bible says a day is a thousand years to God. A thousand years is as a day. See, God, time means nothing to God. So when God talks in terms of the future, it's always eternal, everlasting, unending. Because with God, there is no end. 
Amen. And God doesn't start something with, with the intention that it's just going to be temporary. Amen. He says, he says, so this deal, this deal that I'm making with you is for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. This was God's promise, His purpose, and His intent for the descendants of Abraham Amen. to have eternal possession of that land. We know that in history, there have been several times where they lost possession of that land. But it was always in direct relation to whether or not they were keeping covenant with God. Amen. On God's God's, God's side, there's never been a failure. On their side, there have been many failures. God says, verse 9, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Are you ready? Every male child among you shall be circumcised. God says, okay, up until now, I've carried it. Up until now, I've allowed you to just use the body and blood of animals. But he says, I want you to put skin in the game now. And what was circumcision? It was where the foreskin of the male organ was removed. And blood came from that person. All of a sudden, they've got skin and blood in the game. God said, this covenant, this everlasting covenant, is going to require that you have something in it. Amen. Amen. Now, in Christ, in Jesus, God himself came and took on the form of a man. God had something, God had skin in the game. But also in Christ, he was the Son of Man. So in Jesus Christ, God put his skin and blood, and we put our humanity, Amen. our skin. In this covenant that we have now with God, a better covenant established with better promises, on better promises, sealed in the blood of God's own Son, Jesus, and made between a, uh, the, uh, the Son of God and the Son of Man, which met in Jesus, we have an everlasting covenant that is superior to the one Abraham had. Not taking, that, not taking the place of Abraham's, but absorbing all that was in Abraham's covenant into a new and better covenant. See, we didn't give up a single thing when we move from Abraham's covenant to Jesus' covenant. <laughs> we took everything, because the Abrahamic covenant is an eternal covenant. It is a forever covenant. So it can't be done away with. So what happened was, uh, everything that was in Abraham's covenant just got rolled over and into the covenant that Jesus instituted there at the Last Supper, when he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Amen? 
And because it was sealed not with the blood of sheep and goats, and based not upon the circumcision of the flesh, but of the heart, then it is a far superior covenant. Amen. Can you say amen? amen? But understand that covenants moved forward into future generations through the passage of, of blood and, and skin. They could not be partakers of the new covenant or the old covenant unless they were circumcised. He even goes on to say, if you have strangers, foreigners, that choose to live among you and they want to benefit from the covenant, they have to willingly allow themselves to be circumcised. Let's see if that's in here. Let's see. Um, let's, let's just read on verse 11. You shall be circumcised, the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. Even your slaves. He who is born in your house and who is brought, bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Is God serious about this? There has to be blood. And only by the blood of Jesus are we allowed to participate in the covenant. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarah your wife, you'll not call her name Sarah, but Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her and give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she'll be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. And it goes on. So we, we find here that, that the covenant, all the benefits and all the terms of the covenant are passed down from generation to generation through circumcision or through the cutting of the flesh and shedding of the blood, particularly of that, that, uh, that male organ through which the sperm must pass in order for a child to be conceived. Amen? There you go. Amen. Amen? Amen? That's serious business. The seed has to pass through the covenant. The cut. The seed has to pass through the cut or it doesn't cut it. Amen. Now, how many of you are glad that God has provided a way for us to be circumcised in our hearts so that we do not have to any longer be physically circumcised? It's no longer, I mean, you can get to heaven without circumcision of the flesh. But you have to have that, that circumcision of the heart, that believing. What that means is I believed on what Jesus did. And I received His blood Amen. as a substitute for my own blood because he was, he was representing me there at the cross. Can you say amen? amen. Well, the blood method, uh, you know, the, the circumcision was uh, also 
430 years later, when Moses was on Mount Sinai, God told Moses, he said, he said, when you go down from this mountain, he said, I want everyone in the camp to be circumcised. Because 400 years had passed, they'd gotten away from circumcision, they'd gotten away from the law, they got away. They, they, were, they were like moon worshipers. They were worshiping the gods of, of, uh, of Egypt, the golden calf, remember that? Uh, they were heathen. They didn't know who God was. So God had to reestablish himself with them. They had to reestablish themselves with God. They had to become members of the Abrahamic co covenant. Even though Abraham was their father, they could not enter into Abraham's covenant until they were circumcised. And many of them were 30, 40 years old. It was, it was a painful day in the camp of Israel. But they went at it. They went after it. They believed and they, they, they became circumcised. The whole camp. Everybody in the camp. That's found in Exodus chapter 12 and Exodus 13 where, where, where God reinstates uh, circumcision to them. So now turn with me to Hebrews 13 and we're going to see here in the New King James Version what Jesus did about it. Hebrews 13, verse 20. Is this blessing you, anybody? We sing that song, What Can Wash Away My Sin? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. What Can Make Me Whole Again? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Uh, we, could, we could add a verse to that. What can get me Abraham's blessings? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I mean, what can make me the head and not the tail and above only and not beneath? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All of the benefits of the covenant, old and new, are through, are through me believing and trusting in the blood of Jesus and drinking from that cup. Amen? But if I do it, knowing the terms of the, of the covenant, man, I, I've got a deal with God that can't be broken. God has said to you and to me, my shield is all around you, and I am your reward. I am your exceeding great reward. God himself is your What does that mean? If God has it, you can have it. If God is valued at a certain number of trillions and quadrillions of dollars, that's your net worth. What, whatever God's got, I've got it. Whatever I need, God provides. And whatever God needs, I, glad, I gladly give up. If God look, points at something in my life and says, I need that, I say, how do you want me to wrap it, Lord? There's nothing, in, there's nothing in my life that I hold more tightly than my relationship with the Lord. Amen? Amen? If I have to surrender my pride, if I have to surrender money, if I have to surrender possessions, Jesus said, you know, if, if for my sake in the gospel, any man who has, who has forsaken lands and houses and cattle and children and wives and whatever, he said, in this life, 
He will receive a hundredfold in the life to come. Great riches. How many of you believe that? What, 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 is, what is the basis for that kind of talk? Covenant. Covenant. Dr. Livingston, he needed passage through the jungle. That chief had a, had a staff that had carvings on it that represented this chief, and he was a, he was a, a warrior chief. He was a greatly feared chief. And so uh, he, he offered that passage. That was passage through all of Africa. And Dr. Livingston needed that to fulfill his mission. He said, what can I do for you? And the chief says, I want that milk goat. Well, that was Dr. Livingston's most precious possession in, because he needed the milk because his stomach, you know, had issues. And he, he was physically and probably emotionally attached to that goat. But he let the chieftain get his goat so that he could have access and passage into the jungles. It benefited both of them. Amen? God put his finger on something that Abraham could do. God put his finger on something that Moses and the children of Israel could do. But in comparison to what God did for them, what's a little foreskin? Look at, look at Hebrews 13, 20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. I want you to see that, that between the God of peace and the fulfillment of everything he's called us to do in this life runs the blood of Jesus. Amen. All of our sacrifice for the Lord is based on what he sacrificed for us. The blood. Amen. And the fire comes where the blood is. And so if you, if you eat his flesh and drink his blood this morning... Expect the fire of the Holy Spirit to come and consume you. Great. Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The reason we don't have to die on the altar physically is because we have substituted the death of Jesus in the place of our death, or God has done that. And He allows us to believe in that. The reason I don't have to shed my blood is because I accept the blood that was shed, the blood of God's own Son. Can you say amen? And with that, we're going to receive communion this morning.